the worst thing that can happen is a no, or, you know, you're going to learn something from the situation. And she would always say, you can change things. Like it was a beautiful thing to, from, to learn from her, that things are plastic in the sense that you can change them and shape them the way you like them. You don't, you didn't sign anything for, for forever. You know, she's just like, go try it, just try it and, and see what happens. And then if you don't like it, change it again. You're listening to the Working Progress Podcast, and we are your hosts, Dana and Angela. We believe your work and career should evolve with you, and it is therefore always a work in progress. In this podcast, you will hear stories of people who turn their careers from something that no longer serves them into something that complements who they are and their life goals. The way I like to think about it is that their careers are growing and stretching just like they are. Our goal is to inspire you to get out there and to make the changes you want for yourself and your future self. Let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, welcome back to the Work in Progress podcast. Today, we're talking to Anna who made a career change from marketing to author to journalist, and now she is a podcast host. Anna is also working on her PhD. Welcome to our podcast, Anna. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm very, very well. Thank you. Very excited to be here. First of all, I'm really curious. Can you walk us through a little bit of your work history? What did you do in the past? And then we'll, we'll dive in from there. Um, I'd like to walk you through an even longer history, if I may, <laughs> because I think that matters to what happened to me and my career choices at the end. So I grew up with parents who are artists. My mother was a painter and a graphic designer and back then a very famous movie actress in back then Yugoslavia, now Croatia. And my father was, or still is, an architect, also very successful in his field. And both of them were very, very heart and soul for their work. And they really loved, they had a passion for, for their career choices. I then, when I was choosing what to study... Later on, I decided, looking at my mom, this was late 80s, the, the uh, Iron Curtain fell, the, you know, we went through a big transition from communism to capitalism. Mom, as a freelancing uh, artist, was not earning a lot of money. And I remember telling her, Mom, I'm going to study business because I don't want to be a poor artist like you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so my choice, and mind you, this poor artist, my mom won, I don't know how many awards, anything she touched, she was winning awards. She started designing children's books. She won awards. She won all the awards you could win for acting. She won, she did uh, um, uh, painting, like whatever she did, she won awards. But uh, to a teenager, it's like, yeah, what's the use of the awards when we are struggling to pay bills every, every at the end of the month? So I chose to go into marketing. I thought marketing has a little bit to do with creativity and it's going to be a great opportunity for me to, you know, to have a safe career and earn my money. So I did study marketing and then after that I did my MBA 
And back then, my dream was to become the head of Disney Studios. <laughs> I was dreaming of moving to the States and I really saw myself as the head of Disney Studios. Thankfully, after having spent eight years in Hollywood with my husband and he worked in the industry and learning what the industry is about and what it looks like, I'm not sure if this would have been a good choice for me. <laughs> I would have either have to turn into a beast or I would have been eaten alive there, I think. Anyway, so I did, um, I did my MBA. And uh, during the MBA, I already worked in diplomacy. I worked for four years at the Croatian Mission to United Nations in Vienna. And once I've, I was finished with my MBA, I decided it's time, time to move from diplomacy into where my goal was, into corporate life. And I started working at a mobile network company, Austria's biggest mobile network company, which in that time was a pioneering business you know mobile phones and mobile networks just started back then this was early 90s or mid 90s and it was an extremely interesting and exciting field to work in especially as a young person because everything was new it was all new um and the company was growing and acquired other companies in different markets and became the largest mobile phone company in the or mobile network company in the whole area uh, it covered Austria, Croatia, Slovenia, Bulgaria, you know, the whole South southeastern uh, Europe. And I worked myself up from a project manager to international marketing professional, I think was my title. So basically what I made, did in these seven years was to work myself up into the marketing department that was overseeing or creating strategies for the whole for the whole group so for all i think back back then we had six markets um so i was doing strategic market planning for all our different markets and i loved it <laughs> i loved it so much i loved having the helicopter view and i loved having um, learning about each market and and having the knowledge to decide what product and what service would be good in which shape and form for each market. It was very, very exciting for me. I did not do well. As much as I liked my work, I did not do well in a corporation, in a big, big, big corporation. It, it, it was very tiring for me. I am an only child and I grew up in this artistic family and being stuck in this big office buildings in my gray suits from early morning to late evenings and being a part of this huge beehive, you know, being one of many thousands and a little, little wheel in this big, big, big machine slowly started being extremely tiring for me. So I think seven years into this job, as much as I liked it, I started waking up exhausted and tired and started losing fun in life and fun in work and started getting a little like depressed. I would call it depressed and, and, and without much motivation and joy, which was crazy because I was young. I had this amazing job that I liked and I was earning a fantastic 
money. I was traveling. I was traveling for work. You know, I would go to these amazing business trips and sleep in five-star hotels and be taken out to best dinners. Back then, uh, again, it was the beginning of mobile phone industry and it was like a money printing machine. We were really, you know, there was money in our business. So we really enjoyed a very, very good, good work life. So I was confused about, very confused about why am I not happy? Mm. And one day I read an article in a newspaper from a psychologist who wrote about burnout. And I thought things that he's mentioning here sound exactly like what I'm experiencing. And I wrote him an email and I said, look, I'm, this is what's going on with me. Do I have burnout? <laughs> and he was very mm -hmm. kind and answered. And he said, you know, you sound like you are, a, you have early stages of burnout. I would propose you either get professional help or even better if you change your circumstances. Which was like, oh, <laughs> I thought everything is awesome. <laughs> And this is when I then thought, okay, and, and, and I was getting unhappier and happier. And then at one point I decided, okay, I'm going to change this. And I thought that if I moved to advertising, which was quite a, quite a logical step from the marketing position I was in, I imagined advertising as being a very creative, fun, you know, industry. Also back then, early 2000s or mid 2000s, early 2000s. Um, so I applied for jobs in advertising and I got, I actually wanted to make a very drastic change. So the funniest part of this story is I applied uh, as a junior copywriter to this big international advertising agency, Ogilvy and Matter. And their head, not headhunter, their HR person called me and she said, you know, I received this application. Was it a joke? Because <laughs> <laughs> I had my think maybe you were overqualified. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would I, think so too. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not a joke. I wanted to try something completely different and I'm willing to start from zero. Like I've never done copywriting. So I thought I'll just start as a junior copywriter. And she invited me for an interview and she's like, I, I really want to have you here, but I don't want to have you in, you know, in the, on the creative side, that would be a, a waste. And, um, I became an account manager for them thinking this is going to be, this is going to be more fun than my job. And now here comes one interesting lesson in, in, in my life or one interesting lesson that I learned through that was that the advertising job was way less creative and le way more boring than my previous job. It was so weird because in my previous job, marketing planning maybe sounds boring, but it was at the end of the day, very communicative, very creative and very, and, and more fun for me. You know, I met more people, I traveled and suddenly I was an account manager in this advertising agency, but then the creatives did the creative stuff, the strategic people did the strategic stuff. And basically I was communicating these things with my customers and this was a huge disappointment. 
How soon did you realize? Uh, I, I I can't remember. I can. I think you know. In the beginning, everything looks fun, and you're like, "Oh, this is great! I I did the change." I think maybe six months in or a year in, I realized Ugh, this is not really. This was maybe not the best move. <laughs> And then two years into that job, I finally burned out for real. I I woke up one Monday morning, got into my car to drive off to work, and I'm not proud of this, but this is what happened. I started crying, and I cried for three days nonstop. I was just crying. And the only thing I was able to say was, I can't anymore. I was just... I was exhausted. I was just physically and mentally exhausted from everything. I went on sick leave and went to see my doctor, my family doctor, and he said, you are depressed. You should hear some antidepressants. And I said, no, I don't think I'm depressed. I'm not a person who, like, I, 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 I feel tired. I feel exhausted and I feel like I need a break and not not so much depressed. And he still claimed I was depressed. And I, I said, no, I didn't want, want uh, antidepressants. And then he sent me to a uh, psychologist or psychotherapist. And I had a big conversation with her. And she said the same thing. She said, you're depressed. You need medication. And I said, no, I'm tired. I'm tired from my work and I'm just exhausted and I need a good amount of time to rest and then I'll be good. And my guts, I know that antidepressants are good for some people, but my guts told me this is not depression. And my, I didn't like the idea of taking drugs or medication. I didn't understand how antidepressants work and many people still don't. And I asked her if I, at this stage, need drugs to feel better how will I then ever get off and it you know it doesn't change anything so the only thing that changed in my life is that I'm getting these drugs which means I will never be able to stop taking them like how do I get off of them ever and when the psychologist or psychiatrist didn't have an answer for me this was a red flag I was like no I I don't I don't want to take medication. I remember a stamp she put on my papers. She's like, re- re- rejected medication. <laughs> and again, I just had a lady in my in my podcast whose mom was depressed. And she was greatly helped by, by antidepressants. And I don't want to be against them because I do understand that they help some people. But I think we have to really be very careful and 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 do a lot of research and introspection and decide ourselves what do our guts tell us and what's good for us i decided i first and foremost i needed a break i first i cried for 3 days on my couch saying i can't anymore and then i think i slept for like 3 weeks i just i most of the i wasn't able to read i seriously had like my brain just had a burnout like i couldn't read i couldn't listen to loud music or go out in the crowds or i really needed a few weeks of complete complete peace and and to recover a little bit i learned back then that Nature helped me a lot. I, this is when I learned to to love nature as as a support system for us. 
at this point, did you already quit your job at the advertising agency? No, at this point, I was only on the sick leave. But what I forgot to mention, and which is very important, is when I was still working in my mobile network company, I started writing a book <laughs> without knowing that I'm writing a book. And I was never a writer. I never... This I never thought of becoming a writer. I never saw myself as a writer. I never, the only thing I was writing were my diaries. I was never, this never entered my mind. But one Christmas, um, I lived in a very fun apartment building with small apartments where mostly with single young people and we all became friends and we went through quite a lot of fun stories together so before christmas i decided that i'm going to write down our stories and do little booklets make little booklets with our photos and our stories as christmas presents for my neighbors and i started writing those and I just had so much fun writing that I couldn't stop. I finished our stories and I finished the booklets, but then I continued writing. And at one stage, I had a manuscript of, it was huge. I think it was like 400, 500 pages of just my my stories. It, 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 it evolved into just stories of young women, what young women in their early 30s are going through and struggling with and dealing with. And it got such amazing feedback. People loved the booklets and I just loved writing. I would come back home after work and write in the evenings and write on the weekends. And it was, I I really, for the first time in my life, I found something that just made me endlessly happy. You know, (laughs) I would come back home from work and light some candles and make myself tea and sit down on my computer. And I was the happiest person in the world. It, It was, it just writing made me just put me into my Zen state and, and made me feel so centered and balanced and happy and in my own beautiful bliss you know so I finished the manuscript and then I just put it in my drawer not thinking anything I was still not thinking this is something I had a weird feeling this was just I don't know I I had a feeling it was like shedding of my old skin and at the stage where I changed changed work and everything I thought you know it's it, it was shedding this old Anna and now it's time for a new new phase but then people who read those booklets and people who read some parts of my stories kept on asking what's happening. Are you going to send this to publishers, you know, do something? So while I was on this sick leave, I decided to use the time and send it to publishers. And this was a very, also a very interesting moment because I, I I bought one of these um, manuals for writers, how to get published, and they tell you, get ready to send your manuscript to hundreds, hundreds of places because you'll get hundreds of rejections and you really, it's like playing lottery. So I printed out the list of the biggest publishers in my country and I decided to start from bottom. You no, I started to go from top and send it to the best one first and then just go down. And I thought somewhere towards the end of this list, I'm going to find some, you know, somebody will maybe say yes. 
in the meantime, having been on a sick leave for a while, I well, I was forced to make a decision. And then the book, they, so I sent it to the biggest publisher, and the biggest publisher said yes. So oh the first gosh. publisher, yeah, the first publisher wow. I sent it to, I remember receiving the phone call. This was the pre-emailing days. I remember him calling me at home and I was in my pajamas and I got this phone call and there we are like this and this publisher, we received it. We want to publish a book. And I, I almost fell on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) So this, so this was what, because at this stage I have been on the sick leave for a while and I had to make a decision. My boss was calling and he's like, are you coming back? What's going on? And together with my mom, my mom's big help, she she was the one who was saying, look, you burned out because you don't belong there. You are burned. And, and I've learned this by taking this time off and thinking about what made me happy. And I learned that this writing, writing made me happy, you know, and I learned that, that I burned out because... I was in a position, in a situation that wasn't natural to me. It didn't, it, it, it was not, I, I, I did the best out of it, but it, it was not who I was. And together with my mom's help, she gave me the courage and she said, look, you burned out because you need to change things. Your body and your mind were telling you this is not healthy for you. You are not a corporate person, you know, and, and, and. That gave me the courage and knowing that the book is going to be published gave me the courage to say, okay, I'm quitting the job. I'll concentrate on the book and I'll see what next. I'm going to just follow my gut feelings and, and follow this good feeling I have about writing and, and follow the feeling that corporate was not good for me. And from that moment on, it it was very courageous because again i had a well paying job i had a job i worked hard for i had that mba i you know i did this whole thing and to say no to all of this was extremely extremely courageous but the moment i made this decision the universe started opening like rolling out a red carpet for me this was the most amazing experience ever you know it was really like the universe saying you chose yourself and here you go now. It, and it was awarding me because the book came out and it was a huge success. And in the meantime, I started writing, I, I wrote some, they weren't even essays. They were like little texts of thoughts. And I sent them to this newspaper in Austria. I lived in Austria back then saying, here's an example of my writing. I thought maybe we could talk about if I could start working for you guys, you know, write something for you. And the answer came and she, the editor said, I love this so much. I want to ed- just publish it in the next, in the next issue. Like things like this started happening where whatever door I knocked on, everything just opened up. It was, it was magical. It was seriously magical and then i you know i would send my text into these biggest german newspapers and they were like yeah great thank you we want to publish this and then i got a publisher in Croatia, and and it was i was really awarded for having made that 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 for having followed my gut so i think a year two years later 
I wrote a big essay about my childhood in Yugoslavia. Well, I grew up in Yugoslavia and went through, you know, the war there and the country falling apart. So in 2007, when there was the big financial crisis and people were saying capitalism is dead and we know that communism died, so what are the alternatives? And Yugoslavia was a country that was a kind of an alternative. Its president, Tito, took Yugoslavia out of the the Soviet bloc um, already in 1948 and decided to make a neutral country out of it and really managed to position Yugoslavia in between the Iron Curtain. So Yugoslavia was kind of communist, but also not like an open communist system that was in between capitalism and communism. So I decided to write about this. I I thought, okay, I'll write this essay for this huge Austrian newspaper, I just wrote it and sent it in. And again, they're like, great, thank you, we'll publish this. And this got this got the biggest amount of readers' feedback ever, an essay like that ever. Like it was, and then my publisher told me I'm receiving letters from readers from the newspaper. It got such a big, big reaction that my publisher actually asked me to write a book about it. And here again, you know, things are just opening up. You you know, your publisher comes to you and is like, can you please write a book for us? And then I uh, said yes and decided to apply for some scholarships because at this stage I needed to earn some money. You don't really earn a lot of money from, from books. And... I researched all the possible scholarships and 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 it was a, close to a deadline for this for the biggest Austrian literary scholarship which is actually a grant from the Austrian Ministry of Culture and it's the biggest grant for writers you can receive where the ministry pays you a year of your life cost so you can write a new book so with this idea of writing a book uh, about my childhood I wrote this proposal and then I brought it to my publisher to ask him what he thinks about it. And I'll never forget how he started laughing. <laughs> he started laughing because he said, look, it's so obvious that you're not part of this whole literally scene and you don't know how these things you know, should be written and everything. Uh, but it's cute. Like this innocence makes it very, very cute and original. And he also said, are you aware this is the biggest Austrian literary grant, like literary grant in Austria? Are you aware that you need to have received many little awards and grants because before you can get this? And I was like, I, I wasn't aware, but this is the next one I can apply to. So I thought I'll just apply. And he's like, yeah, apply. It's cute. It's very original. It's cute, but you know, you don't stand a chance. And, um, few months later, it was my birthday and I woke up in the morning and left the house and went to open my mailbox and open my mailbox. And I received a letter from the Austrian Ministry of Culture that I did receive the grant, <laughs> which was... That's amazing. Amazing. Ama- that, was ama- that was just amazing. And then this grant gave me the freedom because now I had a year covered, you know, to write a book and not worry about my bills. And and things just wouldn't stop opening up. And then I thought, okay, I'm working on this book. And, and I was in this year of magical thinking. I used to dance ballet and I, I 
used to love doing New York City ballet workout at home. I had a DVD and I would always, when I couldn't go to my class, I would do the New York City ballet workout at home. And my mom said, why don't you get certified to become an instructor and start teaching that because you love it so much and it's such a fantastic program. And after I received this grant, I decided to apply to New York City Ballet and see if I could become an instructor. And I I, I, I managed to get in. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. So a few months after I received the grant that said, we're covering a year of your course, here I go off to New York City to fulfill my childhood dream and go into New York City Ballet and get trained there. I mean, how crazy and amazing is that? And and this is where I met my husband. This is the my husband's story is a whole other story, but in a short, short, short version of that is basically this is how I met my husband. And here I am now, eight, ten, ten years later in Seattle with my beautiful husband, my beautiful child, and um, writing away, working on my fifth book and loving my podcast. <laughs> That's so amazing. I have so well, many questions. <laughs> this is a long a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> because you have so many interesting twists and turns that I think it was great to let you kind of get it all out there and then we can now go back and kind of dig into a few of them. Thank you for doing all of that. It's very amazing. I, I think the first thing I want to call out is just how excited, you know, like we can all tell from you recounting all of the different incidents, I guess, you know, whether it was, even if it was when your publisher saying, oh, this is a very cute attempt, but I don't think you have a chance at this. And then you got it. Even when you were recounting something that could potentially be perceived, you know, in a negative light, you were still very positive about it. And you like, you know, just took it very well. And you, it was almost like you were just fearless at whatever it was that was coming your way and you gave everything your best shot. And I, I think that was the number one thing that kind of stood out to me was, you know, even if it was like a very challenging task and, you know, you had to send your first manuscript to a hundred people and you did it anyways. And then you heard right back after you sent it to, you know, the biggest um, publishing company. And that's just, Amazing. And I, I think, yeah, I would just describe the whole journey as you being extremely fearless and um, giving everything you got. But you know, that happens when, you, when you're forced to make or when you make this courageous decision. Because in, at this stage, you're like, now I either sink or swim. You know, I, I think this also a little bit the situation forces you because you are at that stage, the person who said no to your amazing job and who said, I'm going to try being an, uh, a writer. And that kind of pushes you to do your best, to just be fearless, as you say. Were there moments where you felt like, oh, I have never really fully, like your writing was never something that, you know, I did all along growing up, like, do I really have it in me to do this? I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. My yeah. son just walked in. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, I'll finish my interview, Kai, and then we'll talk. This, it's beautiful what you build, okay? Okay. okay. I'll talk to you later, okay? 
yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question so you can? Yeah, of course. No, that's adorable. Um, I was just wondering if there were any kind of like moments of doubt that when you were about to, you know, take the deepest dive into the deepest end of the pool that you thought, oh, do I really have it in me to do this? Yes, of course. It was extremely scary. But I also knew, you know, the burnout, I think, forced me to have the courage to do it. Because I knew, I felt in my body like I had heart uh, populations. I was not feeling well. I had, um, I forgot what it's called, but the sounds in your ear, like my ear was buzzing. Like I was physically, I had physical symptoms. And I felt that if I don't change something, my body will not do this for a long time with me. And like, I'm going to break down for real sooner or later. And I think this is what, what, gave me the courage to just try to yeah the courage <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I'm always so curious about people who write books and just like produce content um, I think books probably especially because usually books are much longer and has so much more detail than for example a blog post so um, my very naive question <laughs> who has never written anything longer than maybe like 10 pages <laughs> um, after after graduating from school was how do you get like all of the details organized into the format of a book? And it sounded like your very first one was almost an accident. You just wanted to write something and yes. then you started. I yeah. did not, that, that, that was not organized. Like I just, that just poured out of me. Um, I think I organized, it was, it was in a, it, it was a strange, uh, like diary entry format and I only what I decided when the book was done was to shuffle the diary entries a little bit so I gave it an interesting uh, format where it wasn't chronological but thematical so the reader excuse me the reader had to put the chronology in his head it was an, an, an an exercise for the reader which many readers liked actually when I started writing my second book I, uh, I, what I always like doing is just start writing. You know, I like, I, my husband is also a writer. He works very, very differently. Nick likes to be structured and have an idea of where he's going and the structure ahead of time. I like doing a kind of a first draft, like first spitting whatever is in my head right now out. And then I've learned to then start structuring. So what I do is I have a big, like a, a, a big, board and I work with post-its. So after I've done, after I, I wrote the first first draft, then I start structuring the post-its. And, and I always allow for structure to be organic and to change the way. I really believe that mat- the material takes on its own life and kind of decides what it wants to be. The book I'm working on right now, which is connected to my podcast, is I lost my mom four years ago and I, I was very, very close to her. And one of the biggest anxieties I, I had shortly after she passed away was that I was going to forget everything she taught me. So I sat down and just wrote down all the lessons she taught me on a few pages of paper. And then at one point I decided to start turning that into a book. And then I started writing this and I realized that 
the material actually wanted to become her biography through her lessons, which I never consciously occurred to me. And this was a very interesting process of, I, I really love it when the material takes on its own shape and form and decides what it wants to be. And this is actually what prompted me to start my podcast because talking to my friends about the lessons I learned from my mom, it was beautiful to see how women never really, how women find this topic fascinating, but never really think about it consciously. So talking to my friends, I realized, wow, it would be amazing to talk to women from all over the world about what they've learned from their mothers. And this is how I decided to start. Thank you, mama. And to be women. It's, it's such an amazing project. I'm so in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the concept. I think it's so unique. And um, I I saw that um, the co- podcast actually won some awards. Can it you tell did. us about that? Well, it won the Hermes Creative Awards and it won the dot com awards for creation in internet. I don't know what it's called exactly, but web like web based creative projects. That's amazing. And how, so when, when did that happen? Was it right after you started? Uh, It was a few months, a few months in, Uh, quite, quite soon. I'm, it's, time is crazy. I have a feeling I've been doing this for years, but then I just (laughs) realized now, now that I'm writing some press releases and things. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. it's only been nine months and it already right. won two awards. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. How do you find the people that you talk to on at, on your podcast? I started with my circle of friends because as I moved around a lot from Croatia to Austria and in Austria, I went to international school and an international university. And then I moved here. I have a lot of international friends. So I just started with my circle of friends. And then I just asked on my, I have quite a, met quite a few friends on Facebook. So I asked if anybody can, you know, if anybody's interested and, and this is how a few people came in. But then I joined She Podcasts where I think we met and that helped me a lot also to, uh, to find a lot of interesting women. But now I'm also doing just blind, you know, I read about a woman or, or you know, and just send out blind invitations and see those. <laughs> Hmm. And I noticed that you sort of have a focus on interviewing, like almost like across the globe. Do you, uh, is there a particular reason why, or you just happen to have a lot of friends across, I guess, <laughs> the, the globe? I, as I said, I, I did kind of grow up quite internationally and I, I always felt at home across the globe. <laughs> I I never liked seeing myself or anybody else as just one isolated island. I really think, especially for a big topic like mothers, it wouldn't give us a good picture if we just interviewed women from the same culture or group. You know, I think a big, beautiful topic like this only matters if we, only, if we really cover a wide spectrum of cultures and countries and, and traditions. And yeah. It's such a global, beautiful, universal topic that it had to be international. <laughs> and I'm curious, um, what are some lessons you've learned from your mom? I know that she helped you realize that like you had the art artist in you and you should follow your gut. Um, are there other things you learn from your mom? Yeah, I, I, I 
as you heard from the story, the courage, she was extremely courageous herself. This is how she jumped from one career to the other. She would just go and try. And this is something she would always tell me was just jump in, you know, don't, what's the worst thing that can happen? That was always a very tricky and great question because she's like, well, look, the worst thing that can happen is a no, or, you know, you're going to learn something from the situation. And she would always say, you can change things. Like it was a beautiful thing to, from, to learn from her that things are plastic in the sense that you can change them and shape them the way you like them. You don't, you didn't sign anything for, for forever. You know, she's just like, go try it, just try it and, and see what happens. And then if you don't like it, change it again. And I think the most important thing that I learned from her was loving life. <laughs> she <laughs> she just loved life, and she very she she was bursting with love with life, so that it became contagious. You know, growing up with her and being around her, she would just go around and admire simple things in life, like the blue sky. She would be like, "Wow, look how, how what an awesome day! Look how blue the skies are today." You just couldn't and not learn to love life with her. And I mean, with that, I mean like simple things in life. And, um, and she was also, what was interesting with her was when I started doing Tai Chi and meditating and I was trying to teach my mom and she would tell me, but Anna, I'm all, I'm always meditating. I'm constantly meditating. And that was true. Like my mom was, yeah, she was just so connected. She was like in the constant Zen. She was so centered and so present in every situation in every moment with every person like that would for many of us it takes years of meditation and practice and mindfulness to learn to create these connections and direct experiences and being in the middle of the moment and right now you know she just naturally was and mm -hmm. I think that's that's one of the big lessons as well I have many that's why it's a book <laughs> Yeah, it's also something that I guess a lot of us um, definitely, I, I am going to say like every single person has learned something from their mom, but they don't actively remember, you know, some of these life lessons. Sometimes you kind of just, you know, oh, you took it for granted because you've heard it so many times growing up. But, you know, what about like the everyday life decisions that you're making that may or may not have been influenced by those lessons? You know, sometimes we're not actively aware of that. Yes. And, and I love that you're calling those out by, you know, putting these into like episodes podcast formats that's just yeah wonderful. and and what i'm also doing i always ask was there something that your mom was not able to teach you was there a big lesson in your life that your mom was you know that that's very interesting a and b i always welcome and love guests whose first reaction is i haven't learned anything from my mom <laughs> <laughs> or who has a difficult relationship with their moms i have a few guests who very openly say you know this was a very difficult relationship i didn't learn anything positive but through this difficult relationship and through her being the way she is i've learned this this and that which i also love a lot because we always learn even if it's not in a positive way mm -hmm. that's such a good point that. i think angela and i um we don't talk about our moms much but like kind of because we so my, my our mom like passed away a while ago because of breast cancer and oh, that so was when hard. we were teenagers so it was kind of hard to deal with emotion like we don't even we, we haven't really even talked about it much but i think when i 
when I try, when I remember what it was like going through that stage, we were 17 and it was like the year before going to college. So we didn't know how to deal with that. We kind of just not avoided talking about it and just hung out with friends and, you know, just tried to survive that time. So mm-hmm. I, I think that to, to like listen to your podcast brings back a lot of memories on um, like how I remember my mom. And I think it's, 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 it's a really good topic, really. Thank you. If you guys ever want to yeah. be my guests, please <laughs> let me know. <laughs> oh, oh well, yeah. For sure. yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I think it's, it's really true. therapeutic to kind of unpack some of these things. And like, I think like Dana said, um, as teenagers, especially that last year of high school, a lot of what you wanted to do was kind of hanging on to the things that you knew best, you know, cause you went to high school with these people for four years and oops, next year you're going to all go off to like really different places and we probably won't see each other again. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think the last year of like being seniors in high school was definitely an interesting year. And then you know, obviously, unfortunately, another big life event happened at that time. So, yeah, yeah. It was it was just a? It's horrible losing a mom. I know it is. It really is. Yeah. So, um, thank you so much, Anna, for sharing your story with us. I think, um, Angela, do you, um, are there more comments you would like to make? Yeah, I guess I would like to ask Anna. Um, it sounds like you're doing so much. You know, I think. I picture writing books to be something that's super hard because you have to have, you have to have an idea and then you have to develop it and then you have to actually turn that into words. And then I'm also looking on your website. You have all these articles that you've written over the years and this is just a lot of amount of work. And then you have a podcast that you're actively talking to people that you're writing a book about. How do you manage you know, work life, quote unquote, work life balance. I think it's probably like one of the most asked questions of the <laughs> the last few years. But yeah, still the same question for you because you seem to be doing so much. You are obviously you have family and you have kids and maybe one or two kids. I don't know, but what? it's a lot for you know one person to do. What are your tips and advice for women? You know, I think the grass always looks greener on the other side. I for myself <laughs> think I'm failing terribly. <laughs> No, (laughs) for instance i started writing this book my mom's book a year ago in spring i sat down and wrote the first draft and i was so like yeah i'm doing this i'm gonna finish the book and blah 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 and then something happened i don't know what christmas happened and then covid happened and then i launched a podcast and my mom's book is still parked on its first draft you know (laughs) so for instance this is how it looks like in reality um, I wrote a lot for the newspapers when Kai was born because all these articles, mo- a lot of them happened in, in after he was born because that, in contrary to a book, are small, like you can chop it into small amounts of work. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you, I would have a nanny for four hours and that's enough to, to, to start working on an article, to finish an article. So writing for newspapers was great with a little baby. Um, uh, what, what I again learned from my mom was that a woman's life comes in phases and there's a phase for everything. And maybe it looks on the outside when looking at my website, like I'm doing everything at the same time. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm learning to accept that and to have more patience with myself and say, okay, 
I launched a podcast in March and now I'm just concentrating on my podcast for now. I'm just pushing that. I, I am getting giddy. I have to honestly say at this stage, I'm like, I really believe that, that I really, really believe in the book. And now the podcast is running. I, I am ready to go back to the book. Um, so I hope to start, go back to it in January, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work in phases. This, that's what helps with me. I can't, I am not, a, there are people who can work on many different, like they're like for two hours today, I'll work on this. And for two hours, I'll work on that. And then I can't do that. I need to concentrate. Like I get into this headspace and I'm just in one topic. Like I'm just doing my podcast now. Then I'll record enough episodes that I'll have a few weeks or a few months to just work on my book that works best best for me but for moms being a mom you know like my mom did because my mom always worked I started nursery when I was a year old and Kai started nursery when he was two years old and I I I I didn't have such a bad conscience. I was like, look, he's two, he's the only child. He's bored alone at home with me. It's better for him to be in a nursery than sit at home with me. You know, and and I just I'm a big believer in childcare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real big believer in it's good for them, you know, when you yeah. find a good if you invest into good childcare and the kids are happy there, they're happier surrounded with 20 other kids and playing with them than sitting at home with their mom, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> and mom is happy to be able to work. So I, I hope this answered I hope this answered your question. <laughs> Thank you. I think it definitely helps us feel, you know, not as bad. I mean, like, <laughs> between Edward and I, we're, oh, we're just like struggling. Sometimes almost. we feel very overwhelmed with just one podcast. So let me <laughs> get that out there and you do so much more, but... Yes, because Kai goes to school at nine. I'm back home at nine thirty from dropping him off. I have to leave again at two thirty to pick him up. So I have this what five hours to do everything. I in these five hours I exercise, meditate, work, think about what I'm gonna cook, you know, and 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 do my podcast. And then I have a bad conscious. And in theory, I'm like, but the child is in his in his school all day long. How did I not manage to work more? How did I, you know? And as you say, I'm I learned to became become grateful even if I managed to get the podcast running in these few hours, that's okay. <laughs> Actually, another question came to my mind. I was thinking that since you're such a good writer, um, do you have any tips for people who want to write better? I mean, like, not in terms of, you know, grammar or the structure or, or whatever, but what? how do you find good topics to, to write about? I think all the, the, the things you wrote about are like quite thoughtful and it's meaningful topics, like just like your podcast, you know, like you interview people about their moms and the lessons they learn from their moms, even the lessons they didn't learn from their moms. So I think that these are really um, like thoughtful things that, um, that people would actually care about. So mm -hmm. how do these come to you or how do you get inspired with these ideas? I, I, I think that, I think, that you really have to follow your passion. I, I think the best writing or best things in life happen when you don't do something because you think it's a good idea, but you do it because you feel passionately about it. You know, 
if you sit down and say, what would be a good podcast to do now? Let me think of some topics. It won't be as good as if you sit down and you're like, you know what? I'm burning to hear what women learn from their moms. And the same goes for writing. If you... This is why I think I am I'm knocking on wood quite successful as a writer because in I always say writing found me. I didn't find it. It 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 it's it's a passion. It's not something where it's it's not that I sat down and said, Oh, one day I want to become a writer. Let me think about some topics that people might be interested in. I just started writing about what was burning inside of me. And and what I've also learned is with writing is you can't fool readers. I really think that readers feel when something is true, when something is the truth, you know, when you're, you're, you're really honest and you really feel it, no matter in what shape and form this is written, if it's beautifully written or not, or what the style is, people react to your true you and your true feelings and your true passion. I think that's the most powerful thing. And I believe it's it's for any profession. If you want to be a podcaster, a writer, whatever you want to be, I think if there's this burning thing inside of you and you recognize it and you dare to say your truth, people will react to it. So so lastly, Anna, um, where can people reach you online or offline? If if that's possible, <laughs> if they want to read your books and listen to your podcast and and all of that, how did how, how can they find you? So my books, unfortunately, have not been published in English. Um, you can read them if you know German or Croatian. <laughs> uh, but you can find my podcast. My podcast is called Thank You Mama. Um, the website is called ThankYouMama.net. Um, my personal website is tider.com. That's T-A-J-D-E-R. That's my second name. And so I can be found under my name, Anna, with one N, Tider, T-A-J-D-E-R, in all different social medias. I'm just me. Or you can just, maybe you can put some links in your uh, podcast episodes spelling is a bit complicated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We will be linking to all of these. Great. Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing your time with us today and really loved, really enjoyed talking to you about your work and your experience. And uh, I'm sorry that you had to go through a burnout to, you know, figure this out, but I'm really happy that you did and really happy that you were able to rise above it and, um, you know, shine where you are. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And isn't it this isn't this a beautiful lesson how sometimes when we think something is a curse in life, it's actually a blessing, you know? I think that's that's how we can end on a positive note. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You just finished listening to an episode of the Working Progress Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you share this with someone who can benefit from it and leave us a review on iTunes. Don't forget to let us know what you think or if you have any questions. You can find our contact information in the episode description. Keep doing the good work and I look forward to speaking with you soon.